Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Fans of TV and film can rejoice. The actor strike is finally over. Just under a week ago, SAG-AFTRA came to an agreement with the studios after a record-setting strike. Now that the writers, the actors, and the studios have come to an agreement, let's get a better understanding of how the negotiations went and how the strike impacted local working actors. Back again to talk about the negotiations is Carla Cristina Contreras. She is the president of local SAG-AFTRA and a part of the National Negotiation Committee. Carla, Christina, thanks for being with us today. Welcome back to This is Nashville. Thank you so much. Okay, so give us some of the latest updates. Like, how are you feeling? How are you and your fellow actors feeling now that the strike is over? Well, um, first of all, I can tell you when the vote went down that we decided to accept the agreement that was before us. We jumped out of our seats Hmm. just in elation and I mean, people were crying. We were hugging each other. We were, you know, just like, oh, my God, we're here. This is the time that we've been waiting for. Here we are. And we just, you know, we didn't know when it was going to happen until it happened. It was just amazing. Now, you flew out to L.A. many times to take part in these negotiations. (laughs) Yes, I'm I'm a gold member of this and a something of this and a something of that, you know, where I have all these, you know. You got the airline miles. Points. Oh, yeah. So, you know, talk to me about the environment, what that was like in this committee as you deliberated this offer from the studios. This isn't someone just asking for a raise at their job. These are billion-dollar negotiations. Yeah, it was really different this time because we did not go back to the AMPTP offices where we were stuck in this little room with sound machines so that they couldn't hear what we were saying and the room had to be swept and so forth. We were at our headquarters, 5757 Wilshire Boulevard, at our beautiful big building um, at sag After Plaza, and we were in our own safe space. And it was definitely different. Um, you know, every day you jockeyed for that favorite seat. Hmm. Uh, and we did, ha- you know, half of us were on Zoom. I don't want to say half, but a good portion were on Zoom, maybe a third. And then the rest of us were in the room and staff was on Zoom and in the room as well. Now, did anyone from the committee have any serious objections to the offer from the studios? Um, there, You know, AI, of course, was the thing that hung out for the longest, but that was because they didn't give us even a counter for, you know, till the very end before we went on strike. And then we just, I, I can't even tell you how many counter, 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 counters, how many went back and forth. I mean, I could tell you, but uh, it just, you know, it, it just kept having a hang up. And it was really frustrating. And that was the one thing that was truly hanging us up. And then little by little, we were, you know, I'm a writer as well. And sometimes you have to kill your babies. And that was what was happening. We were having to let go of our darlings at the very end. Things that we, you know, we wanted or couldn't get it exactly the way we wanted it. But it was a negotiation. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that people 
that we're hearing out there, which I can go out on X or any social media and I can get nauseous if I read some of the things that people, they don't understand the process of negotiating. So you're talking about when you enter a negotiation, all parties involved have to realize that in order to come to a resolution, no one is going to get 100% of what they're asking for. No one's going to get 100%. And, the, you know, if we had gotten everything that we wanted, <laughs> um, it would have been in the billions. Mm -hmm. um, but we knew that. We knew that. We were told ahead of time by our, by, uh, our lead negotiator, Duncan Crabtree Ireland. He said, okay, this is the most historical package that this union has ever gone in with. It's the largest package. You will not get everything. There's just no way. And so just be prepared. I will fight for you on everything to the nth degree, but it's a negotiation. What percentage of the things in the package did you all get at the end? I'm not really sure what that what that answer is. Um, we got a lot. It's an epic package. Mm -hmm. It really is. Is it perfect? No. No, and no package ever is perfect. But what we got is monumental. Not just the money, but the individual things that we got, like hair. Hair consultation. That was a huge one hmm. for people of color. You go in and you're on a set and the person who's working on your hair doesn't know how to work with your hair. You get a consultation now. Okay. I mean, that's huge. That's They've been fighting deal. for that for a long time. Uh, so, you know. Now, my, my next guest is a local actor and member of SAG, Ariana Kaufman. She's also a former guest of the show. Ariana, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So... You know, are you excited now that the strike is over? I am ecstatic. I am so excited. Um, yeah, I I think I was at a movie, and when I checked my phone, I had an email from SAG um, saying, all right, we have a tentative agreement. And I was like, no way. Hmm. I, I was speechless for a minute. Have you received any details about the agreement? Um, yeah, I, I mean, there was a national meeting yesterday on Zoom. I wasn't able to attend, but I have um, I have the doc documentation from that. So um, as you look it over, do you have any questions or concerns about the new deal? No, I mean, I, I'm what I'm really excited about is uh, what was negotiated for self-tapes. Um, and uh, yeah, just... It, like makeup consultations and things like this um, are fantastic. So I'm I'm really happy. Happy with, with the everything with everything that's come yeah. out. You know now you know some people think that most actors are living well, like high on the hog, so to speak. They don't understand uh -huh. you know how hard it is to make it as an actor. Did you have to find other forms of work to make ends meet while the strike was going on? Oh yes. Well, um, I mean, luckily I have another job. So um, I was going to be okay, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think when people think about this, they think, oh, well, it's A-list actors and they make so much money, but um, the majority of us are struggling and barely making ends meet. Um, so I felt like this was more for us. Mm. The layman actors, the layperson actors. Exactly. Now, yeah. 
Now, you know, to land a job, most actors audition for roles. I have heard of some places where, you know, some situations in television and film where the role is made for the actor. But, you know, there's a method of auditioning that you referred to a little bit earlier called self-tape. Can you explain to us what that is? Yeah. Um, so, you, so when the pandemic happened, um, we weren't able to go into casting offices. And so we needed to be able to film our auditions ourselves at home and um, submit them. And I think what the issue with it is that you are expected to light yourself really well, have the right backdrop, and then you also need a reader. And some people don't have access to someone 24 seven, so they might have to hire someone to come in and, and read the other character. Um, and so you end up spending lots of money on uh, film equipment and then uh, also a live person to come in and read with you. And then that can take hours. Um, and then figuring out how to have the right files and format and edit and then send that in. Um, and so it, it was that, you know, you might have to do it in, you have 24 hours mm -hmm. to make it happen, but you're working a job and then you're expected to be off book um, and then have it all ready to go in a pretty package. And, so, we, and when um, you say off book, you mean having all the lines memorized? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And that could have been, I mean, I've had auditions where it's 15 to 20 pages that I need to have completely memorized. And then they might ask, oh, can you do it three different takes and different backgrounds? Or can you do a profile view? Things like this. Just, And it's already really time consuming. And um, so now, from what I understand about the uh, this deal, is that I think we now have 48 hours and they can only ask for a minimum um, amount of pages for the first round. Um, so it makes the whole, it makes the entire process a lot easier on actors and gives you a, a better chance of potentially landing the gig. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think now also, I, I mean, I might be wrong. I'm not an expert, but um, that they, uh, they have to let you know if they have already cast the part mm. um, because before they might ask you to audition and you're putting all this money and work into it and but it turns out they've already had it uh, another actor hired for it so you're like why did I do that yeah I, I, I'd be incredibly frustrating I'd imagine now yes last question for you you know are there any projects locally here in town that are coming up that you're excited to you know throw your hat in the ring for yeah, um, I I feel like a lot of casting sites and my agent has been like, okay, if things are coming up now. Um, every, everything was pretty dead. And now it seems like um, life is coming back into the arts here. So I'm, I'm just excited about the new projects that are going to be happening and everyone having, having this uh, kind of creative renaissance. All right. We'll break a leg when it comes to auditioning and getting any gigs. Ariana Kaufman is a local actor and member of SAG-AFTRA. Ariana, thanks again for talking with us. Yeah, thank you.
Carla Cristina Contreras will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll talk with local actors and writers about what they see how they see, pardon me, AI impacting their work in Nashville and beyond. So how do you feel about the actor strike? Are you happy like I am that it's over? Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. One of the biggest issues between the studios and both the actors and writers guilds, respectfully, is the use of artificial intelligence in television and film. Now, before the break, we heard a local actor express some of her concerns, and we heard from our state's junior, we will hear soon from our state's junior senator about bipartisan legislation that she's co-sponsoring to bring wider protections for artists and creators. But now let's talk with a local writer about their issues with AI and what the implementation of AI could mean for her and countless others. Joining me now is Yurina Yoshikawa. She is the Director of Education at The Porch, Tennessee. Yurina, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate you being here. Tell us a little bit about The Porch and what you all do to help and support writers. Yes, so The Porch is a literary nonprofit organization. We're based here in Nashville but we also offer online classes and we've grown a lot in our last 10 years. We offer writing classes, um, anything from poetry, fiction, nonfiction, even screenwriting. Um, and we also hold literary events and we just started a literary journal. We try to be a community, you know, for all kinds of writers. We like to say that we're for writers of all stages and ages. Mm -hmm. So anyone with the inclination to write. That's right. Should come to you. That's right. We're not an academic institution, so um, you're not taking a class to get a degree or certificate. You're learning um, how to just better yourself as a writer. So we get all kinds of people come in. Now, something that's been interesting to me, it's been about a year since AI was kind of introduced on this mass scale to us. Question, what reservations or concerns do you have with AI being used in creative spaces? Yeah, this is something that... Um, it has been on my mind this entire time as a creative writer myself. Um, one thing that, though, I have been um, thinking about in terms of the porch and the kind of work we do in the community is that, um, you know, with ChatGPT, you can give it a prompt and you can say, okay, here are all the facts about my life. Now, can you write a memoir for me? Mm. And um, plenty of great memoirists and writers have been, their works have been used to train this AI, so it could output something that sounds beautiful, that has perfect sentences. Now, the work we do at the porch, it's not about creating perfect sentences. It's not about the product so much as it's more about the process. And I have been in countless rooms as a teacher and also as a fellow writer where, um, you know, someone will read out something that they just wrote in the last 10 minutes. It's messy. It's, you know, maybe some sentences are incomplete or run on. But the content and the fact that they, you know, um, took the courage to write it down and to share it in that room. I've seen magic happen in that way. Like people will cry. People will become friends. People will. Um, it's really more about it's not about having this perfectly written piece. It's about um, the act of showing others uh, a story that you went through and, um, you know, having having that that safe space. We try yeah. to uh, that's what we try to give. Well tell, well, tell me this. What's lost when 
to have like a script or a novel written by, by AI that's been trained by established human authors of varying levels who are excellent. But what's lost when we have a machine do something that we're accustomed to humans doing? I just think, you know, as a avid reader myself, um, I, I, I just don't know that if we have these books written by AI um, with maybe people giving it prompts for uh, things that they think readers will want. I just don't know that that's really going to get at the heartstrings of readers. Like I think, um, and this is a funny thing um, for me to say as a writing instructor too, but I think there's something about the flaws in human created writing um, where you read something and you go, oh, maybe that could have been written differently or maybe the plot didn't have to go there or, oh, like I didn't like that. It had an epilogue. Um, all these things, you know, are evidence of the fallibility of humans and of the complexity of our emotions. I feel like that's what, at least for me, that's what I read mm. uh, these literary works for. And I trust that the readers who are spending money reading books and supporting authors, that they're going to continue supporting this, these human-made stories. Otherwise, I mean, I think, I, I, I just don't see a future for AI books. Maybe I'm naive, <laughs> maybe I'm a little <laughs> optimistic, but... Um, that's just what I've seen as, yeah, someone in the space. I, I understand what you're saying because it's, it's again, to kind of reiterate your point, it's less about perfection mm -hmm. and it's more about the performance or the process, the process of yes. making something. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I know you all have been talking about AI quite a bit at the porch. You have to have been. What have those discussions been like with, you know, some of the educators and staff writers as well as the people who attend the workshops? Sure, yeah. Right now, I feel like the the anxiety about AI, it's still sort of in the background of things. Um, it's not actually affecting our workshop spaces. What it is affecting is I've seen many of these um, published writers, people who have um, one or more books out there in the world, they are expressing outrage that their works have been used to train AI. Um, they feel betrayed. Um, they feel like it's a form of plagiarism. And, um, you know, a number of our porch students and teachers, they also have published works and we definitely want to champion that. Um, but that's still, you know, a small percentage of the kinds of people who come to our organization. A lot of the times I see people who are writing really for themselves, mm. um, not to publish, but to share in a small intimate group or even just for themselves. So. Um, yeah, and uh, coming up, though, next month, we are having a panel discussion uh, between the Porch and the Arts Business Council of Greater Nashville uh, that is going to be about this topic featuring artists and lawyers uh, to talk about how to protect art made by real people, because this is something that I think we need to continue talking about. When next month is that? It? Yes, it's on December 13th, uh, Wednesday, uh, around the lunchtime hour. It'll be held at Adams and Reese, uh, their offices. And um, it's an event that um, The Porch is co-sponsoring and moderating. Okay. I'll, be, I'll be the moderator as okay. well. Yeah. Okay. Now, Carla Cristina Contreras from the local SAG after she's still with us. Let me ask you this, Carla Cristina. You know, the use of AI for actors is a little different from what writers are facing. Can you break down for us exactly how the studios were planning to use AI for actors? Well, I can give you my point of view. I don't know exactly but how they were going to do it. But the thing is, is that they have been basically, or, or not they per se, but many even 
non-union, I, I would say, uh, companies have been loading our works, movies and television and so forth, into their databases to help build what the same thing that Irina was talking about. Uh, and we're outraged by that. It's mm. like our likenesses and everything are being used, and then you can just call up different, I, you know, I want the eyes of, you know, this actor and the nose of this actor and the mouth of this person, and then this new character can... Like build your own thespian. Exactly. And mm. But you know what? As I was listening to Irina, I'm like thinking, who's going to promote this? Who's going to be on the red carpet? Who? I mean, come on. That's a big part of our industry is the celebrity and the, you know, being a part of that and the promotion and all the entertainment shows. Who's going to do all of that that we all watch? Mm. Now, you know, uh, speaking of that, speaking about celebrity and who's going to do there, who's going to promote it. I, I understand a major point of contention with the studios was like the use of images of actors who are deceased. You know, first using someone like James Dean or Marilyn Monroe in an entirely new work that they were never associated with during their careers when they were alive. Has that been a big part of discussion with yes. the members of SAG? Yes, it has been. Uh, we've been talking about, um, you know, for instance, Carrie Fisher. Mm -hmm. Her, I believe it's her daughter, um... You know, if anything like that happened again, they would have to contact the family. If they can't contact the family, then they talk. The union will be a part of that, trying to get some sort of communication to get permission to use it. From that point, I'm a little sticky on the details of that, how that's going to work. But first and foremost, Consent is the the biggest thing that we won. It was consent and compensation. Mm -hmm. So the AMPTP studios, they cannot just take us and use us in perpetuity. And that was a huge win. I can imagine. I can imagine it was. Now, for reference, when Carrie Fisher was filming the last of the tr trilogy of Star Wars, she passed away. Her daughter stood in to fill her position in acting, and they used AI imaging to create her voice and face. Now, you know, Irina, as you know, AI is going to continue to develop. It's going to mm -hmm. get better. It's going to get faster. More versions are going to be out there for us. Do you have concerns that it potentially could take over the creative arts? So, I mean, this is something that's really hard to imagine whether, you know, thinking back to the kind of beautiful flaws that one might see in a literary text now, what if AI is able to, you know, figure out how to make it sound flawed? Um, and that's, that is kind of scary to see like exactly how um, fine-tuned that kind of product will be. Um, I just think, you know, and in creative writing and in the literary world, I also used to work in book publishing, so I kind of saw how the sausage was made. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, thinking about the kinds of people who are avid readers, who are um, supporting writers, I, I like to think that there's actually going to be this like reverse appreciation for human made texts um, that because of this threat, that we are going to highlight, you know, the accomplishments of people who 
don't rely on AI to come up with things even more. Um, that is my kind of take on that. And, um, you know, the other thing to notice, too, is like, you know, writers have also talked a lot about the difference between appropriation and appreciation. And, you know, when a white author has appropriated, you know, the story of a marginalized group, like there's been outrage and conversations around that before AI even came along. Mm -hmm. And that's really changed the literary landscape as a result of those. So I, I have a feeling something similar will come out of this. You know, I'm sure there's some people who are listening who do share both of your concerns with AI and those who don't. And the reasoning I give, because there may be people, you know, who are, care about the show, movie, or book that they're reading, the care, the author, the human connection to it. There's others who just want to be entertained, right? Like they, they're not worried about the process of the creation. They just want it to be absolutely perfect and done and serve to them the way they prefer. What are your thoughts on that, Carla, Christina? <laughs> wow. I mean, I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind is boring. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I mean, the human condition is something that you can't really, I mean, it's so unexpected. Hmm. We, life turns and, and twists and does so many different things that we don't expect in just a moment that sure, I guess chat GPT could do that, but the thing is, the most interesting thing that comes to the table is the human, mm. the person, and all their baggage and luggage and everything that they bring with them. The spirit and soul. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, what do you, what do you want the future to look like? How can creative artists and AI live together? Well, first of all, you know, I think starting tomorrow, our union will be putting out a vote for ratification. It's really important that we pass this. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect, but as it was said in the negotiating room, the camel's nose is under the tent. Now I'd never heard that before, but now I realize that when a camel's nose is under the tent, that camel's gonna lift that tent up and everything is gonna be different. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have to react to that. So I think it's really important that we, we got what we got and then now we can massage it and we can make it better. If we didn't have it, then we have nothing and they just get to go. And regardless, there are still people on the outside, companies on the outside that are doing things that we don't want them to do and we can't control them. So at least we've got what we have and now we can move forward and we can start working again. You know, uh, Carla Christina mentioned companies who were working on AI, pretty very at a rapid rate, very quickly, and I see that the government has kind of been slow. A government historically has been slow when it comes to regulating any type of new technology. They're definitely slow, slow with this. So, Yurina, how would you like to see lawmakers address AI? Well, um, from a creative writing perspective, I suppose um, I, I would like to see um, see a support for real art and artists. And, you know, I think there's a space for things like music and elevator music, for example, or perfectly written sort of like page turner mysteries that are um, chat GPT generated. It's perfectly fine for someone to enjoy that. But I, I, I would 
urge the leaders to um, to make a space and to um, hold precious the real the real artists. Uh, because if not for art, like, yeah, sort of like what Carla Cristina was saying, what what is humanity? You know, I feel like it's just um, that that is such a um, w- w- without it. We what are we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, w- I, w- I would urge uh, a space to be held for us. I want to thank my guest, Yurina Yoshikawa with The Porch for having this conversation with us. I know it won't be the last. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And Carla Cristina Contreras will be back with us later on in the show. Now, in October, President Biden's administration released an executive order on safe, secure, and trustworthy development and the use of artificial intelligence. It's only six to eight pages, but there's a lot of information in there to sift through. We're going to save that for another episode. However, the executive order, it presents a step from the administration to develop some sort of regulatory practice for AI. And members of Congress have been working to develop a plan on how we can use and monitor AI. In many cases, the work has been bipartisan. One of the congressional members who's taking a lead on AI regulations is Tennessee's own Marsha Senator Marsha Blackburn. Now, before she was in Congress, she worked as the executive director of the Tennessee Film Entertainment and Music Commission. As a U.S. senator, she sits on the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee and is a ranking member of the Consumer Protection, Product Safety, and Data Security Subcommittee. She recently filed two pieces of bipartisan legislation, one to improve AI testing and evaluation systems, as well as a bill to protect the voices and likeness of individuals from AI-generated replicas. Last week, I spoke with Senator Blackburn over the phone. Let's listen to that conversation. Senator Blackburn, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Well, I am delighted to join you, and thank you for your attention on such a hot topic, because you're right. We are doing some work onto this and looking at what the guardrails should be and how we have a role to participate in this. AI is a big, big point of contention between SAG and the studios. You, along with your fellow fellow senators, Chris Coons, Tom Tillis, and Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar, you released a discussion draft. Uh, it's called the Nurture Originals Foster Art and Keep Environment Safe, or the No Fakes Act, as a means to protect the voice and visual likeness of individuals from fair, unfair use through generative, generative AI. Can you just briefly tell me how this act came together? Yes, I'll be happy to. I have worked with so many of our songwriters, our singers, our entertainers that are in Tennessee. And uh, talking with our songwriters, hearing from them about their concerns with AI. And then some of our individuals that write scripts for TV, they said, look, AI could take away our ability because you could go to chat GPT, you could put in, write me a song that sounds like a Trisha Yearwood song or a Garth Brooks song, and it's going to spit something out that is very similar. Now, what happens is that that is robbing that entertainer of benefiting from their name, their image, their likeness, their voice. Working with Chris Coons, who is there at um, the Judiciary Committee with me, we came up with this uh, discussion draft, which is the No Fakes Bill, that would provide some recourse. It would put in place some guidelines so that your creative community would still benefit from their works. And you couldn't have these AI platforms ripping that music 
training AI and not compensating mm-hmm. these entertainers. Now, you know, let me ask you this. In the past, you've made it pretty clear that you're not the biggest fan of unions, but SAG has come out in support of the No Fakes Act. How does that shape your view on unions at the moment? You know, I am very pleased that SAG has come out and supported this. What they're seeking to do, and I appreciate this, they want to preserve the ability to practice their craft. And uh, I want to preserve that ability for them. We have, and I say regularly, we have the world's greatest creative community in Tennessee. And I appreciate so much what our songwriters and entertainers and actors and script writers do, because it's amazing. And uh, the world really benefits. It is true that it all begins with the song. And when people talk about the soundtrack for their life, many times that centers around a song or centers around a script for a play or a movie or uh, some scenario that was significant in in their lives. So you you can count on me to be there to protect that intellectual property and to protect their constitutional right to benefit from those creations. Now, now Senator, these bills are bipartisan, and please take no offense to this. Right. That That's really not a phrase that's been linked to Congress much over the past couple decades. How how does it show that members from both parties can work together to create a common good for all Americans? You know, let me ask you this. Does working so closely with Democratic colleagues give you the hope that there can be bipartisan cooperation on some of the more contentious issues we're facing right now? Oh, indeed it does. And I tell people, and I'm known in the Senate for saying I'm always willing to have a conversation with someone that wants to make the lives of Tennesseans and all Americans better. I work together closely with with my colleagues and I seek out people that I feel like have an interest area. And I know that Senator Coons is interested in intellectual property issues. And I went to him and said, okay, we're beginning to address this AI issue. So why don't we do a piece of legislation that will protect our entertainers and provide them with a form of protection against the voice cloning, the name image likeness, and protect that Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 right that they have. And he agreed to do it. And then we had Senator Tillis and Senator Klobuchar that said, count on us to come and join you. Let me ask you this. What show do you currently miss the most? Oh, my goodness. Which one do I currently miss? Yeah. I don't know. You know, maybe we all could use a little hee-haw in our life. Some hee-haw? I, we, I think we could use a little mini pearl back in our lives. That would make everybody feel good. You're right. I agree. Thanks so much. Senator Blackburn has been the co-sponsor of many bipartisan bills that would create regulations on AI and protect the work of actors, musicians, and creators. Senator Blackburn, I know you're super busy. We, we, we really thank you deeply for your time. Thanks so much for being with us. You got it.
Now we have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with a student filmmaker about some of the philosophical issues on AI and film, and we'll catch up with the executive director of the Tennessee Entertainment Commission. As always, join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Now, we've been discussing the end of the record-setting SAG after strike and how the use of AI is impacting the world of entertainment. Veteran filmmakers, writers, and actors are having to change course or at least reconsider how they go about making their projects. But new filmmakers, what are they doing? How are they adjusting to the rapidly changing times with technological breakthroughs? And what messages are they sharing in their work? My next guest is a student filmmaker who's taking the questions about the use of AI and meeting them head on. Gus Betker is a film student at Vanderbilt. Gus, thanks so much for being with us. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, you recently made a film that goes right into the heart of the issue with AI and actors. Very, very interesting premise. Can you briefly tell us about your movie? Yes, of course. Um, it's called On the Dying Grass. It's a film that explores um, a near future of the entertainment industry, a future where possibly um, uh, we bring back deceased actors using AI and CGI. Um, it explores the ethical questions that go along with having Marilyn Monroe or James Dean um, back on the screen years after they passed. Without giving too much away, how did the characters come to find a resolution? Um, it, we took it from an interesting standpoint. I, I heard you guys talking earlier, and um, uh, we were sort of exploring that responsibility, like who is making these consensual choices for an actor. Um, a lot of our inspiration was like a Harrison Ford-type figure. Um, Harrison Ford-type figure passes away, and um, who is making these decisions for um, this actor once they're deceased? Um, and we really thought it would come down to the family, of course. Um, we really thought another interesting point of view was a talent agent. Um, a talent agent is someone who's usually responsible for helping their client find um, roles or making decisions, career-lasting decisions for an actor. Um, and if a family has sort of said to a talent agent, you know this person, we really know them well, we're going to do this with or without you. Would you like to come along um, for the ride? Um, so we're really looking at this consensual responsibility from the point of family and um, from a professional level, people involved in this actor's career. These are some deep, deep eth ethical questions. Where'd you come up with this idea? Um, I have two brilliant filmmakers who did this with me. Um, we've been working on films since freshman year. Um, I love them to death. They're deep, deep thinkers. Um, CS major, English major, I'm econ history. Um, we think philosophically and we love to make films that resonate with people. The type of films you want to talk about in a classroom. Um, mm -hmm. It was supported by actually Vanderbilt's basic sciences. It was a lot of the scientists on campus wanting us to make a film that was science conscious, science conscious about AI. Mm -hmm. um, and we got to consult and work with a lot of the professors at Vanderbilt were making. Where can people go see the film? Um, not anywhere yet. Hopefully we'll be somewhere soon. Um, we're going to go to film festivals and see if anyone would um, resonates with the film and like to pick it up. But the, the minute it is out somewhere, I will surely let y'all know. Let us know. We'll talk about it on the show. Good luck to you. Yes, sir. Now, Carla Christina, does any of this sound like 
like anything that you all discussed at the SAG negotiations? I'm blown away by this. I, I can't wait to see this film. Uh, we just, yes, we discussed from every point of view that you can possibly imagine. So I love this. Thank that you. This film is has been made and in Nashville. And so, yeah, we, you know, the thing is, is when there's a think tank of so many people, then everybody's going to see things from a different point of view. I love the fact that they brought the scientists in as well. Now, you, I understand you used to intern for Senator Marsha Blackburn when she was here in the state protecting artists and performers, right? I was a volunteer for her. She was huge on screenwriters, mm -hmm. the Tennessee Screenwriting Association. So back when I first started to volunteer years ago when she was the Tennessee uh, Entertainment Commission, I can't think of that title right now, but she was the director. Yeah, it's really nice to see her back on track with the creative side for our state. Um, I, I love that, that, that she's a part of it. So Okay. Now, Gus, you're a filmmaker. AI is going to continue to develop. And, you know, it's maybe only a matter of time, a few years, if when an AI operating system can make an entire movie from its, by itself. Are you worried that your craft that you're studying is going to be taken over? No. Um, I think at school, um, a lot of what we're learning, a lot of what I'm seeing in these classes where we're figuring out what came out in AI yesterday is AI is going to be a tool for the entertainment industry. Um, we're, you guys are doing amazing work at SAG after right now, helping to lay the foundation for how that tool is going to be used. You're fighting for it right now. The entertainment industry is trying to figure out how it's going to get implemented into this industry. But it seems like such a powerful artistic tool that filmmakers will flock to it. Like there's two sides of the coin. Like there's the use cases where everyone looks at it and you feel this like philosophical revulsion, like this ethical revulsion to how things get used. And we can imagine those scenarios. But I have a feeling in five or ten years from now, we're also going to see the next Martin Scorsese and the next Steven Spielberg use AI in a way that has our jaws to the floor, like makes us like takes a leap in cinema in a new way. Um, so I'm I'm not scared of it. Um, I really I'm, I know maybe young and naive, but I really hope that the entertainment industry can find a way to lay the foundation to use this thing ethically and responsibly. Mm -hmm. And if we do so, I think it could do amazing things for the entertainment industry. I mean, who knows? The next Scorsese or Spielberg could be sitting right here in this studio. And I could I'm talking that You're could too be a possibility. Kind. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Gus Betker is a student filmmaker at Vanderbilt University. He was joined by local SAG after President Carla Cristina Contreras. Thanks to you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it. So Thank welcome. You, Thank you. Now that the strikes are over, it's time to think about what productions will be starting up again in our city and region. How rapidly will the entertainment apparatus get back up to speed? Here with me now to give us a look at the not-too-distant future is Bob Rains. He's the executive director of Tennessee Entertainment Commission. He was an exec ex guest on our first episode. I talked with him a couple days ago. Let's hear that conversation. Bob, thank you so much for being with us again. Oh, thank you for having us. Great to be here with you. All right. Now tell me, you know, the strikes have ended. So what was your reaction when you found out that the strike has ended? Oh, one of joy and happiness. Um, just to, you know, after 118 days, um, just knowing that um, the industry was, you know, going to come to agreement and that, you know, production was going to start. 
Um, you know, it was uh, it was something that I was excited about, um, and you know, something that I know for for the commission. Um, you know, we have been talking and having a lot of conversation with folks. Um, you know, across the board about, you know, production here in the state and when was that going to take place and how was that going to happen? And, and obviously this year, um, not being able to have anything, um, you know, has been, has been extremely hard. Now, I know, I'm sure it's been quite hard. It's definitely been hard for the people who work on production and hard for us viewers of television and film. I know things were rolling before the strike started, but tell me, what have you and your office been up to since news broke about the strike ending? Well, you know, since since the strike ending, um, you know, which did a few days ago, uh, we, you know, started conversations um, with you know, several different independent production companies. Um, we have a couple studio um, companies that we're talking with right now. Um, as they're sort of laying out what their timelines are going to look like and where they're going to start putting production. And so those conversations have come on very quickly. Um, and everybody, again, just trying to find a place um, and looking at schedules into, um, you know, probably next year um, to start production. Okay. Production potentially could be starting back next year. Do you Tell me this. Do you have an idea of the financial impact of the work stoppage on Tennessee? What I will say, um, you know, what I will say is that in FY23 or just the 2022, um, our office, you know, we saw roughly, you know, $273 million um, worth of investment in the state just through film and television that we were incentivizing through our office. Um Going into 2023, um, we saw maybe $30 million um, in 2023, $30 to $40 million. And so, I mean, it had a significant impact, um, you know, on on this year. Um, going, you know, looking at the pipelines for 2023, at the time before the strike, I would say we had, you know, somewhere around $200 million worth of production that was looking to get started in 2023, and that was probably in Q1, uh, maybe end of Q1, early Q2. Um, you know, then as the writer strike came on during that time, and then of course the SAG after strike came on during that time, which really just decimated, you know, that sort of $200 million pipeline that we were conversating and had been working on for the previous six months. Um, so now whether that is a ultimate end right to what we lost, I don't know, but those are the conversations that we were having, you know, for six months leading up to, you know, the strikes. And then after that, all conversations fell off, um, until recently. And now we've sort of started conversations back up to looking what production might look like for, you know, early Q1. So as you all are looking into this, you know, I, I know something that happens commonly within the industry is after there's a work stoppage, production shift to other places as a means of saving money or just expediency and ease for them to finish wrapping up whatever they had started or to complete a new project. And some people out here could be concerned that we might see production shift to other cities. Do you share that concern? 
Um, yeah, no, that's that's a that's a real concern. Um, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, you're under the gun, especially if you're a TV series and you're having to deliver on a certain time and you're having to deliver on a certain budget, then yes, absolutely. Um, you know, where you are and um, and you know maybe incentives could play more of a role you know in sort of this condensed timeline than it would you know if you had just sort of a, a regular you know time frame to go and make this. Um, I would see that happening probably for series that have to be delivered. That might not be the case for independent movies. Um, you know that that are you know, that are in the process or, you know, looking to start, you know, soon. Um, but I can definitely see some shifting around when it comes to having to deliver a series to a network. Okay. Now, you mentioned that, you know, you guys are in talks for productions to come back in the beginning of 2024 in quarter one. How will your offices be supporting entertainment workers in the return to normal? Well, in return to normal, you know, what we're hoping to see is we're, you know, hoping to see a rapid ramp up of, you know, production, like I said, in the first, you know, Q1, Q2 of next year. I think that will accelerate, you know, the hiring of crew, the hiring of talent um, from around our state. We also want to make sure that we are looking at different locations around our state as well. Um, not just centering on a Nashville, but how are we working in Memphis and how are we working in Knoxville and across other locations in the state to make sure that those folks working in the industry can also, you know, have access to jobs and projects coming in. Well, there's no business like show business, and I know a lot of folks are happy that the business is back. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, sir. Bob Rains is the executive director of the Tennessee Entertainment Commission. Bob, thank you so much for this update. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Elizabeth Burton. It was directed by our senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Laura Boach is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Marissa Shapiro. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>